Hey, everybody. Welcome to the 25th edition of the MBN Podcast. I'm Jay Geisberg alongside Justin Galanti, and we've got a jam-packed one here this week. Maryland returning home to College Park after a one-and-two weekend in the Clearwater Tournament. We had the chance to catch up with Jeremy Brown, a national writer for Perfect Game. He was down in Florida in that sunny, sunny weather. But of course, came back to College Park today, and it's just as beautiful. But we'll talk to Jeremy about what he saw this weekend. And then we're also going to have a nice discussion with two Louisiana boys, Will Watson and Madison Nickens, who are both very excited to return to their home state this weekend when the Maryland Terrapins travel to Baton Rouge to take on the Louisiana State University Tigers in what should be one of the more exciting weekend series of the season, at least for the Terps. Me personally, I'm excited to go down to Alex Box Stadium and check things out. So, Justin, I, I don't really understand. I go down to Florida when it's snowing here in College Park on Thursday. It's beautiful, 70 degrees there, and then get back here, and it's 60 and sunny today. I think you might just have the sun over you everywhere <laughs> you go, Jake. You're just an angel in disguise. Whoa, and, oh, now. <laughs> and the weather comes wherever you are, and you know what? I'm not complaining about the weather today. I'm sure it was great down in Florida, and I'm sure it'll be great down in Louisiana this weekend. Well, we can only hope that it'll be continuous for Louisiana this weekend and then North Carolina the following week. Maryland starting the season with three straight weekends on the road. This past weekend down in Clearwater. Of course, next weekend down in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And the following weekend down in Cary for the USA National tournament Irish classic whatever it's called it's got a very long name but long story short Maryland's going down to North Carolina <laughs> to play three teams NC State Notre Dame and Dayton on Sunday um, but you know that's getting ahead of ourselves a little bit and I guess you know a good place to start as any is with this past weekend Maryland going one and two and dropping out of most of the polls falling out of D1 baseball was 22 now unranked falling out of baseball America Terps were 24 now unranked but still in the perfect game poll, falling from 23 to 25. And that's really, Justin, as good of a segue as any to welcome in Jeremy Brown, the national writer from, from Perfect Game, to talk to him about what he saw this weekend down in Clearwater. Jeremy, thanks for joining us on the Maryland Baseball Podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Now, you were down in Clearwater this weekend, as, you know, was I, and, you know, Maryland going one and two. I guess what were just your initial thoughts and expectations for what you might have seen out of Maryland. Yeah, I mean, they went one and two, but when you actually watch the games and and, and take it in, I guess, from my perspective, it, it's going to be an offensive club, I feel. That one through five, one through six, with all the bats that are there, they're going to put up runs. And I guess it's going to boil, boil down to the pitching and, and the bullpen, really. But, I mean, th there's definitely the potential there. I know they're still ranked, Maryland's still ranked by us at 25 in the country right now. And I think you have a lot of pieces there that it's going to make for a fun spring, especially once you get into conference play. Did it, did it kind of surprise you that it might have been a more offensive weekend than a pitching weekend? I mean, we were talking a lot in the preseason about how Brian Schaefer and Taylor Bloom were coming off big years and Hunter Parsons looked strong and Tyler Bloom looked strong. So was it surprising to kind of see the tables turned a little bit? Um, not surprising, I guess, because you, I mean, anytime you have the bats like a Marty Casas or a Nick Dunn or even Kevin Smith, who was just quiet this weekend offensively. I know you're a big Nick Dunn fan. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I think as he uh, comes around and starts now that he's a sophomore, I think more people are going to jump on with me, but I mean, yeah, the pitching like Schaefer still threw well. There's no doubting that. 
And Bloom, once his command's there, he has enough deception and movement to everything he throws. Nothing straight. And then you have Bloom, the freshman, who showed some grit and battled through some things. His first collegiate start, Hunter Parsons, showed well out of the bullpen and handled himself well. Again, another freshman who looks like he's going to log valuable innings for you guys. So back to it, I wouldn't say it was so such a surprise, the offense overgoing the pitching, but definitely a good starting clock offensively for the Terps. So pitching, defense, that all goes into it, but the defense was something probably surprised a lot of people was not very good this weekend. Maryland made six errors, and that was a big part in their loss against Louisville. What do you think about the Terps' defense? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's little things that add up to big things, and that's exactly what happened against Louisville. You had a couple plays that, just end up it's, it becomes a snowball effect almost where they of course after an error they put up they get a big hit and put up another run and you think to yourself well if we made that play and we're out of the inning and then the lead's only down by two and then just kind of changes the whole dynamic of it but Kevin Smith looked good up the middle he made the not routine plays look rather routine Jankarski can go out and get it I didn't realize just how much ground he could cover out there and when you have two staples like that up the middle, I think you're, you're only going to go up from there. I don't think a six-error game is going to be commonplace for that type of defense. And for Maryland, we mentioned it. The Louisville game was a winnable game, if not for the errors. There was really one big inning against them in the loss to Ball State. So coming off this weekend, a 1-2 and two record may be some cause for concern. But should there also be optimism about the fact that, hey, they were all three winnable games and they very well could have beaten a very good top 15 Louisville team? No doubt. You look at the scoreboard, too, at the lines. I, I'm not sure offhand how many, what the largest uh, deficit they faced, but they never gave up. They kept chipping back one run, two runs at a time. And when they very easily could have just fallen out, especially after a big inning like the Louisville game where you just kind of, they got us and that's that. that It went down to the wire. And that's I think that speaks to the program and that speaks to the type of chemistry on the team. And they don't feel like as though they're going to be out of a game just because the other team puts up so many runs an inning or over such a long period of time. I think... The, the tenacity definitely showed, and though the outcome wasn't there, the way they got to the outcome was definitely worth note-taking. Yeah, just to just to address that, the biggest deficit was six runs in that Louisville game after the five spot that the Cardinals put up in the bottom of the fourth, and you know, they were down five against Ball State pretty much the rest of the way of that game also. But yeah, I, think the, I thought the resiliency this weekend was something that was impressive, especially considering last year that might not have been something that, that we saw a lot of. Um, what I want to ask you, Jeremy, is, I mean, you were sitting behind home plate for, for pretty much every single inning of this weekend, all mm-hmm. all, all the games. Um, who on Maryland's team, A, impressed you the most, and B, I mean, I, I want to go back to kind of the surprise effect. Who surprised you the most, good or bad? Yeah, I mean, I had to sit back there, first of all, because I don't get sun in Massachusetts, so that was like a <laughs> must, just taking it in kind of like an iguana on a rock. Oh, so. it, was, it was gorgeous down there. Yeah. But one that impressed me and surprised me, I guess somewhat was um, Selmer in the back end. 
because of the development of that slider. And obviously he can already sink the pitch, sink the fastball at 90, 92, 93, which is going in on right-handed hitters. And the slider has developed into a true swing and miss pitch going the opposite way, breaking out of the zone away from the hitter. So that gives them two legitimate pitches from the same arm slot going in opposite directions. And as you could probably see from up top, there's a lot of uncomfortable swings on the slider. Oh, yeah, all those, all those down just, low and away for sure. Yeah, all the, they're just they're, they're reading fastball, reading fastball, and there it goes. And that's that. Well, what's interesting about him is that I was talking to him kind of this offseason, and he's a guy that, you know, I, I, I kind of went up to him and said, so what do, you, what do you throw at this point? And he said, well, I have a fastball, but it's not really a fastball. It's more of a sinker, and it's more of a slider at the mm-hmm. same time. He doesn't really have that true four seam that's going to, you know, stay straight or, you know, just move a little bit. No doubt. Yeah, with the arm slot, and I'm sure the way he kind of grips the ball, that thing, it's definitely bores in on hitter, on right-handed hitters. So if you were playing against wood bats like up on the Cape, I'm sure there'd be a couple splinters out on the infield. Oh, oh, there were. I, I saw them this summer when he was with the Gate, man. It was, it was fun to watch him. Um, yeah. We're talking and that's here. obviously a good problem to have we're, we're when talk- you're him. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, that's all. Just a good problem to have him in the back end and him showing – him being able to hold his stuff for three innings too, I think is pretty key where coach chef can now know, knows he can do it and can run him out there an extra inning in a tight game as the season goes on. You know, we're talking here about kind of like surprises that you might've seen summer being one of them. And I mean, what about, what about offensively? Well, I, I guess it's not too much of a surprise with Nick Dunn, but that was my first time really <laughs> not any, getting... Not anymore, it's not. <laughs> that was like my first time actually getting to bear down on him and watch him. And it, it wasn't so much as a surprise as like a confirmation of what we kind of already knew and that he can really, 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 really hit. Now you had a great tweet and, this weekend about him. Yeah, that was, that was one of my favorite tweets. I enjoyed hitting the send button on that one. <laughs> and that just saying his barrel is pretty much just 33, or his bat is 33 inches of barrel. Because time after time, it's like, all right, he's not going to turn on this. And, <coughs> excuse me. And he did. He turns on 91 on his hands. And it's just, it's impressive. Outside of, <laughs> outside of Selmer with the pitching staff, you were mentioning. One big issue for Maryland was control this weekend. Walked yeah. 13 batters, six wild pitches, two hit-by pitches, and a balk for good measure. Do you attribute any <laughs> any of that to anything but early season rust? I think that's really it. I mean, I was talking to the, your guys' coaching staff, and none of your inter-squads, I don't think, no one threw above 35 degrees. And you get down here, and it's it's just a different game once the ump says play ball, and you have guys that aren't on your team in the batter's box, and it's just it's just early season. I think that's really what it boils down to, and guys still have to figure some things out. And it's it's the same game they've all played. It's just some some are freshmen, some are getting their first taste of college baseball. Some are seeing that the strike zone isn't as big as it was in high school, I guess. But still, I mean, it's it's just early season, I guess, to circle it back. There wasn't any glaring, glaring problem, I don't think. Our guest here is Jeremy Brown, a national writer for Perfect Game. And Jeremy, one of the other guys I want to ask you about specifically that I was impressed with uh, from the bullpen was Andrew Miller, the, the sophomore oh, yeah. lefty. What did you see from him sitting behind home plate that, that kind of stood out? 
Yeah, I liked Miller a good bit in high school, actually. And I think throughout his senior year, he had some buzz heading into the draft. He was he was drafted. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, but like could have gone better, like in a signing type round. And but I liked him. He's left handed, obviously. But the angle at which he comes at hitters is going to be very difficult against left handed hitters. He also showed to be very effective against right-handed hitters. And his slider was actually better against right-handed hitters as he stayed on the pitch and threw it with a little more conviction as opposed to getting across his body against left-handers. He was up to 92-93, I believe, off the top of my head. The same angle and plane. and <clears throat> Excuse me. With them being able to bounce back and close out the game against Alabama State, too, proves he can come back on short rest which I think is going to be another key, especially when you get Racino back in the swing of things. You have those three with Selmer. That's a good good little uh, Kansas City Royals system there where you just divvy up the back end of the game. Yeah, that's for sure. And I mean, just, just kind of going off with specific guys again, I don't think we can't escape talking about Kevin Smith, you know, going one for 12 with seven strikeouts, you know, after all of the preseason accolades and hype that was surrounding him. Do you think it was kind of just pressure mounting or was there something else that you might have noticed? I think it's just one of those things when you get into it, it almost becomes more mental than anything, I guess. I, I never hit. So, I mean, it's important. But, it's important. The point is, you know, he, he did start pretty slowly last year too. He went 0 for 8 with, you know, three or four strikeouts against Alabama to start the season last year. Right. And it's not like he can't hit. We know he can hit and the bat speed's there. It's not like the barrel slowed down at all. He's coming off a big summer on the Cape. It looked like he was trying to go deep, looking to impact the ball hard. But you started to see some adjustments to his swing, started laying off some breaking balls later on in the weekend, which is a good sign because he was going after them when they were down in the zone a little bit. But I don't think there's any real reason for concern. The bat speed's fast. The, the cans are fast, and it's all real. <clears throat> we'll show you big power in BP. He went deep opposite field in uh, practice Thursday night. So it's there. It plays. We've seen it all. We've all seen it. So that's just going to make the offense that much more potent once he comes around and gets into his groove. Another chirp that got a lot of offseason accolades was Mike Racino struggled a lot in his appearance against Alabama State. What did you see from him? I saw I saw a big fastball, and when he's going to be able, when he gets on top of it, he's going to be able to generate plane, and it's going to play, and it's it should miss bats. I think he was up to ninety five, ninety six, but he just he couldn't find his release point. He didn't look that comfortable on the mound where with his plant foot. When he was landing, even in warm-ups, he was, as soon as his foot hit, he was looking back a little bit. And I don't know if it was that, if he was trying to, if he was just a little juiced up for his first outing. But again, he's another one coming off of a big summer, and the stuff's obvious. He threw a hard slider in warm-ups, 12-6 curveball during the game at 81-82. So there's no doubting the stuff, and the stuff's going to play in the back end. It's just, he's got to get his feet under him, I guess, for the year, and just find a consistent release point. So I guess to kind of polish off our, our discussion here, you guys at Perfect Game have Maryland as the 25th best team in the country with the rankings coming out today, dropping two spots from 23. After seeing them this weekend, one and two, and all the other things that we kind of discussed, what do you think is the floor for Maryland and what might be the ceiling? Uh, 
that's going to be a good question to just see how that's, that's why fall. I'm asking it. <laughs> I know. Uh, I, can I plead the fifth? I think, I mean, the, the talent's there for sure, where they're going to be a contender, obviously in conference. And I think they can make noise beyond. And it, it depends, I guess, how the bullpen shapes up. And that will ultimately give you your, the answer, I believe if that's uh, a way to work around your question without giving you a direct answer. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I guess uh, perhaps more time will tell, and maybe we'll see a little bit more this weekend down in LSU. But, Jeremy, thanks, thanks for joining us. We'll look forward to reading you over at, at Perfect Game, and hopefully we'll cross paths again sometime uh, the rest of the way. Without a doubt. Thanks for having me on. So, Justin, let's jump right into this discussion about this weekend series upcoming against LSU, one that will probably be – the hardest of the season, at least maybe the, the best opponent, you know, on paper that Maryland's going to face this year, at least is on the schedule. Yeah, the Tigers are really talented, consensus top five around the country, and for them, it starts with the pitching staff. Their three starters this week pitched a combined 17 innings, only allowed six hits and one earned run. The entire staff only walked four batters, and the headliner was Jared Poche, who threw a seven-inning no-hitter against Army. So Maryland certainly has a tough task this weekend. Now you might be thinking, seven-inning no-hitter, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Baseball games are nine innings, and that's kind of what I said when I saw kind of the stat line for Poche that had him throwing a seven-inning no-no. And, well, what happened this weekend in LSU is they had so much rain uh, on Fridays that they ended up playing a doubleheader Saturday. They played two seven-inning games against Army. Poche pitching the second one of the two and tossing those seven no-hit innings, four strikeouts in that one. Uh, faced 22 guys uh, in those seven innings, so just one over the minimum. And uh, and it was an error. And it was an error, yeah. So it wasn't even a walk. Um, it was pretty much a, a perfecto, you know, for him on the mound at least. Um, so that'll be, you know, just one of the arms that headlines this LSU staff, but he's not even their, their ace. The ace on that staff is Alex Lang, who's, you know, a consensus, you know, top 10 draft pick overall. Not top 10 rounds, top 10 picks Overall, he played for the USA national team this past summer and, you know, really lit things up. And, you know, as you said, Terps are going to have a tall task this weekend, but John Sheff loves to schedule that non-conference hard. Uh, it certainly bodes well for the Terps that he does from an RPI perspective later on in the spring. And I think the Terps, Justin, coming off a one and two weekend where, you know, we talked with Jeremy earlier, all three of those games were winnable. They showed that the offense, you know, is maybe a little bit more potent than it was last year with all these guys coming back. Maryland hitting 272 as a team this weekend and getting on base, this really stuck out to me. Getting on base at a 415 clip. I mean, that's really solid. Absolutely. I think Maryland offensively should be very optimistic coming out of this weekend and especially what they did against Louisville. I mean, getting Cade McClure out of the game after three and two thirds innings, that's impressive. And nobody was able to do anything like that really all of last year. Maryland's done a great job working counts, getting on base, whether it's singles, moving runners over, taking your walks, and then some extra base hits. Nick Dunn was great. Marty Costas was great. So I don't think the Terps should be intimidated in any way by what they are going to be seeing on the mound from the LSU pitching staff. Costas making a big for Big Ten Player of the Week this past week. Hit 500 this weekend, 6 for 12, scored three runs, added a triple, got walked three times. So, you know, guys are A, either maybe not, not necessarily pitching around him, but he's showing that he has that same plate discipline as he did last year, which was impressive last year too. 
and maybe one of the biggest kind of unknowns or question marks was how Brandon Gum might fit in the lineup that transferred from George Mason. And he went 500 this weekend, four for eight, getting the start on Saturday and Sunday. And, you know, as you might have heard John Sheff say post game after Sunday, Gum's going to be in the lineup there, most likely hitting cleanup this weekend and maybe for the foreseeable future. <laughs> it was actually funny, was talking to Brandon at the airport and, you know, during kind of his post game press conference, they're done at the airport just because it's easier. And, you know, we asked him, when the last time he had cleanup was, and he was like, probably not since Little League or, or high school maybe. So that was something that was really interesting to, to hear from him. And this is a deep lineup. When you have a preseason All-American like Kevin Smith, who has a pretty rough weekend at the plate, and you still hit 272 as a team, and you have him batting seventh, I mean, he's not going to go one for 12 every weekend. He's going to turn things around and, and be the stud that he's expected to be. So this is a potent offense. Absolutely, and I'll tell you what. If Kevin Smith is the biggest offensive worry that John Sheff has, he'll sleep well at night. Kevin Smith, as <laughs> he said, sure, yeah. he's going to turn it around. But all these guys did a really good job this weekend. A.J. Lee was a bit of a surprise. He had three hits, knocked in a run. Nick Sieri had some good production. And we talked about it with Jeremy. I mean, Nick Dunn is just as professional of a hitter as you'll find in the college ranks. Sprays the ball all over the field. And he's the exact type of hitter that you want at the plate against some of the stuff and velocity that the Terps will see from LSU. Doesn't try, try and do too much. Knows who he is at the plate. And he's very successful doing it. Now, of course, Maryland does have that tall task of facing Alex Lang and Jared Poche. But also, you know, you flip things around for both teams in both perspectives. And, you know, you take a look at LSU's lineup, and they're as deep as anybody else in the country. You take a look at Maryland's pitching, that has the potential to be really great as well. Brian Schaefer throwing well on Friday. Taylor Bloom, not his best. You know, three walks a bit less leading with two of them being intentional. And then Tyler Bloom on Sunday looked really sharp in his first start, came back after allowing a few runs to shut down Alabama State. Hunter Parsons threw well after coming in in a tough spot for Taylor Bloom. And two guys at the back of the bullpen, Ryan Selmer and Andrew Miller, really showed their stuff this weekend. I think Blom did a great job, and you mentioned his resiliency after coming out and giving up a few runs in the Alabama State game for a freshman starting the third game of your collegiate career. There have to be some nerves there. And for him to settle down as the outing went on, get better as the game went on, I think pitching coach Ryan Fecto has to be thrilled with what Blom did. Now, just taking a look at this LSU lineup, and of course, three games, very small sample size, and LSU didn't even play 27 innings. They only played 23 with those two seven-inning contests. But you look at some of these numbers and you go, whoa. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Cole Freeman hitting 600, 6 for 10. He led the Cape Cod Baseball League in batting average this past summer, so you knew he had that in him. But then you're going to kind of go down a little bit. Kramer Robinson going 5 for 9. Jake Slaughter going 4 for 8. And you get to a guy like Greg Dykeman, who a week ago in an intra-squad game took a fastball off of his cheek, needed surgery, and then comes back in his first at-bat, hits a dinger, a three-run shot. And, I mean, his slugging percentage right now is over 1,000. I mean, he went four for nine with a double, two home runs, five RBIs. This is a deep, deep Tigers lineup. Oh, it really is. And, yes, you said it. They haven't even played three full games technically yet, but... When you put up numbers like these guys have, it's impressive no matter what. When you have a batting average like Cole Freeman, where you take that 600, if that's his grade on an exam, he actually passes the exam. That's how impressive <laughs> his batting average is. And LSU just does all the little things offensively. They've been so successful 
over the past couple of seasons. Last year, lost in a Super against the eventual national champion, Coastal Carolina. The year before, they got to Omaha. Palmineri is known for pitching, defense, and offense. I'm not sure if there's anything else. Yeah, what is what is there? Base running? Pretty much nothing. I mean, Cole Fre- <laughs> I mean, if you want to say base running, Cole Freeman went two for three in steals. But he did too. get thrown out once. Yeah, so he did get thrown out once. And so I he guess did something wrong this week. There you go. He did. <laughs> hey, he got out four times. Yeah. <laughs> he went. He went four for uh, six for ten. He might need a day off. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Maryland <laughs> could use him having a day off. Uh, I mean, I don't want to paint the picture that that Maryland is totally outclassed by LSU because I really don't think that's the case. I agree with you. I don't think that's the case at all. And for all of the kind of hype that we can give this Tigers team, I mean, it's certainly deserved. There's a reason they're a consensus top five team in the country. You know, D1 Baseball had them as a top 15 team in the country entering the season, and now they're up to five. So clearly, you know, there's a bit of a of a shift there. And people saying, okay, now we can see exactly what's happening here at LSU, and we know, you know, what to expect a little bit more. But I'm certainly not saying that Maryland is going to go into LSU this weekend and get swept. In fact, I would say necessarily the opposite. You know, the Terps, they stack up well against LSU. They're kind of built, I'd say, almost similar. A really deep lineup, a deep pitching staff, and I think maybe the only area that LSU might have a true advantage over Maryland in would be on the defensive side. You know, we noted the defensive struggles with Jeremy that Maryland had this weekend, and of course it's going to help LSU to play at their own field. But if the Terps can be clean on the defensive end, make all the plays, there's no reason why they shouldn't be able to come with a win, maybe two, maybe even three. Completely agree with you there. Uh, One thing that's important to point out, LSU didn't play the New York Yankees this week. I mean, no offense, but it was Army, Army, and Air Force. So, yes, the Terps were... Oh, or one and two, and LSU was three and zero. Oh, but Maryland had a much different, much more difficult three games. And as you mentioned, they were in all three. LSU and Louisville are two teams that you kind of say, okay, these are top fifteen, top ten teams in the country. And as you mentioned, if Maryland fields the baseball against Louisville, there's a great chance they win that game. And one and two, that's a record. And yes, everyone says you are what your record says you are. But Maryland's a very good, very talented team. There's a reason they were ranked in almost every poll to start the season. There's a reason their shortstop was on the Golden Spikes watch list. There's a reason that their pitching staff has been touted as much as it has. They can go toe-to-toe with LSU. There's no doubt about it. And I think this team and this coaching staff will be very confident going down to Baton Rouge. Well, that's certainly why John Jeff wanted to schedule a team like LSU. And I think it'll pay dividends for Maryland down the stretch, you know, should they you know, return to the NCAA tournament. And, you know, Chef said this weekend that it felt like a regional. You got a team in Alabama State who's going to run through the SWAC, a team in Ball State who's going to run through the MAC. They were they looked sharp. And a team in AC in, in Louisville who's going to, you know, potentially win the ACC for third straight year. So you got potentially a tournament played with four future conference champions with Maryland being picked to win the Big Ten. And if that's not a regional atmosphere – first weekend of the season. I don't know what is. Absolutely. It's a great way to start your season. You get NCAA tournament feel right away. Then you go on the road and play against a really good team. There's no better way to learn what you've got in that dugout if you're John Chef. And with Chef, I really do like the fact that he schedules so difficult in his non-conference portion of the schedule. Not only does it test his team early and kind of show him what he's working with, but, you know, we, we just mentioned it. It prepares them. Not saying that LSU is going to come in unprepared. They're playing at home. But, you know, it's a top five team that, like you said, played Army and Air Force. And frankly, what downside is there? 
If you get swept by LSU, nobody's saying anything. But if you go down there and get a win, get two wins, that is huge for you. Going on the road is very difficult, especially against LSU. But as you said, it can be great for Maryland, whether they win three games, two games, one game, or no game. There are moral victories to get. There are psychological victories to get. And then there are scoreboard victories to get. And there's a great chance for Maryland to get wins in all three of those categories this weekend. Certainly not an easy place to play down at Alex Box Stadium. No. One of, probably one of the more nicer college ballparks in the entire nation. Uh, Maryland was last there back in 2013 and did end up getting swept in that series. In fact, that was John Sheff's first series as a head coach at Maryland. So it'll be a, an interesting kind of return. We'll talk to him about it later this week. One of the big questions I have going into this week is, one, how's the lineup going to look on Friday? We saw some lineup shuffles this weekend. You know, things pretty much the same at the top with Jankarski, Dunn, and Costas, but no doubt we'll see gum in the four-hole come Friday night. Then after that, that's where the questions start. Sierra started two out of the three games. Madison Nickens started two out of three games. Will Watson started two out of three games. Where does Kevin Smith fit in the order after his showing this weekend? You know, who starts at catcher? We saw Danny Maynard get one start, Justin Morris get two, but Maynard replaced him quickly that Saturday game. You know, I think we'll see A.J. Lee in the nine hole again. He fared pretty well down there. But I think that kind of five through eight has a lot of room for shuffle. And Vaughn said a few times this weekend that there are really 12 or 13 guys on this roster that are going to vie for a, a good amount of playing time. So that's that's what I'm looking for on Friday. Absolutely. And the beginning of a baseball season, especially in college where you have guys that can make big adjustments from year to year or you even have freshmen that are coming in playing college baseball for the first time, it's a feeling out process early in the season. You want to get your guys a, a good number of at-bats, get your sample size, see what you've got. So I wouldn't be surprised if you see some flip-flopping Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, just like the Terps did last weekend. But as you mentioned, there were a number of impressive performances. Three for six with two run scores from Danny Maynard. It's hard to overlook. I mean, he hit over 300 last year in limited action, and He's a guy batting from the right side who's an aggressive hitter, and he said that post game also. You know whether he's pinch hitting or he's you know in the lineup for three at bats a game, he's going to have that you know first pitch first strike mentality. Um, and I think you know I wouldn't be surprised to see him get a lion's share of the playing time behind the plate for the Terps. On the pitching side of things, you know we know Schaefer's going Friday, we know Bloom's going Saturday. So when Sunday comes around, you know this past Sunday Tyler Bloom got the start, a because he was ready. Not that Parsons wasn't. Parsons is more than ready also after last season. But Fecto said that he liked the lefty matchup against Alabama State as a sticking point for why Bloom earned that start. Even though he was, by all accounts, successful in that start, might we see Parsons on Sunday or Bloom? I wouldn't be surprised if it was Parsons just because as a freshman – there's a difference between pitching against Alabama State on a neutral field and going to LSU. But with that said, if Fecto is insistent on matchups, if he likes lefties against lefty-laden lineups, or a righty in somebody like Parsons who can keep LSU off balance, if that's something he's looking at, then it really just comes down to the matchup. But for me, if it, if you're thinking at all about mental strength and fortitude going into a game like this, I think you probably go with the experience of Parsons, who didn't pitch poorly out of the bullpen. His stats don't look great, but he did a decent job. It was really just one inning for Parsons that 
was a problem. And he came in in the middle of that inning in relief of Taylor Bloom. But after that, he really just shut down Louisville for pretty much three innings. Uh, struck out one, walked two. So you'd like to see those numbers flipped. But I think, you know, if we're talking lefty-righty and looking at this LSU lineup, of course, you know, we're broadcasters. We don't, you know, necessarily know what a scouting report looks like. But Brennan Bro, Antoine Duplantis, they're both lefties. Greg Dykeman, who we mentioned earlier, he's a lefty. But, but then you got Kramer Robinson, Jake Slaughter, Cole Freeman, all batting from the right side. And, you know, one of the Jordan twins, Bo, bats from the right side as well. So not only is this LSU lineup deep, but it's balanced. And I think, it, you know, it might come down to what Fecto and, and Haynes and the rest of the coaching staff sees in that scouting report come Sunday. We might not have a decision on that until Friday. Yeah, you can see how the beginning of the weekend goes. Another thing to look at with Maryland, if you have righties going Friday and Saturday, maybe the Sunday lefty is just a different look. Well, that's why a good reason why Taylor Bloom is so entrenched in that Saturday slot because his kind of stuff, it's not going to blow you away power-wise, but it moves in such a deceptive manner that it's a really good change of pace from Brian Schaefer. You know, it's almost like in... And Maybe this is quite literal, like Brian Schaefer is your fastball and Taylor Bloom is your changeup, and it's his changeup that makes him so effective. Mm -hmm. And and it's a good point because you want to give a different look every day because, yes, you can have three guys that are all really, really good, but if everybody is 95 with a changeup and a sinker or a curveball, LSU gets used to it by middle of the day on Saturday maybe. If you have a different look all three days, you have the hard-throwing Schaefer, the guy who keeps you off balance in bloom, and then maybe you go to a lefty on Sunday, that's an advantage for Maryland because a team can't get comfortable in the box. I know it's different games from day to day, but it carries over. Baseball is a game of momentum. It's all about how you feel in the batter's box, and if you need that first and second at-bat maybe to get used to who's on the mound that specific day, as opposed to it seeming like a three-day continuation of the same kind of pitcher, That's an advantage for Maryland if they can do that. So the Tigers have two midweek games coming up. They're at New Orleans, so pretty much just an hour drive for them. And then they host Hofstra on Wednesday. Maryland, no midweeks. They're fully looking forward to LSU. That one getting underway Friday night at 8 o'clock Eastern time. You can listen live on Maryland Baseball Network. Saturday getting started at 1 o'clock Eastern and Sunday at noon Eastern. So all three of those games will be down there in Baton Rouge. Certainly looking forward to it. And uh, now, we'll, you know, we'll talk to a couple guys. We mentioned this at the top that we were going to have a conversation with them. Two guys who might know more about LSU and the state of Louisiana than anybody else who is currently in the state of Maryland. Madison Nickens and Will Watson, two of the Maryland outfielders. And you guys, this must be kind of an exciting week for you leading up to go down to LSU. Pretty much going back home. I know for you, Maddie, from Gonzalez, that's like a half an hour from Baton Rouge and Will, you're from Monroe. Did I say that right? Yeah, it's Monroe. For yeah, sure. it's a little bit farther north, right? I, I looked up the map. I did some prep. So how it's, how far it's north? It's three is and it? a half hours from Baton Rouge. <laughs> okay. So you got to go through Mississippi to get there. So it's a it's a ways. All right. So so Maddie, for you, I mean, both of you guys went to LSU Eunice, and Eunice, to my understanding, is about an hour and a half west of Baton Rouge. So that's a little yeah. bit. You guys are nodding your head. So I'm doing oh. something right. Oh yeah. Um, good research. Good research. Good I mean, that's research. that's what they pay me for. You know, just a little bit of research. <laughs> so you guys, did you meet before you went to Eunice? We actually played a high school game together. We did. We didn't know each we other. We didn't know each other, no. We played against each other, though. I just remember big, ugly kid on the other team who was playing. <laughs> <laughs> when when th- was this? Uh, 
junior year maybe? This was my my senior year, I want to say. Because we graduated in the same class, didn't we? I think Did you graduated in 13? Yeah. I think it was our senior year. Probably so. I honestly yeah, don't quite senior. remember. It was freezing cold. I remember that. Down in Louisiana, it was freezing cold. It, gets, it, gets it was cold, in it was in our, our 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 field in Monroe. Yeah, it was so, early February. Yeah, so I remember this kind of when we were leaving to go down to Clearwater. Will it was snowing here in College Park, and I kind of looked at you. Know, I was like, "Is this the first time you've ever seen snow?" And you were like, "No, it snows in Northeast uh, Louisiana." And I was, I mean, I personally was surprised. I didn't think you guys got snow down there. I thought it was too far south. It will. Uh... Every so often, I'm gonna say every three years or so, I've you know it'll snow, but it, I mean it'll stick for a day. Um, it'll get down in the 20s, so um, it's uncommon, but I've seen it before. Um, nothing like here, though, you know, obviously. Now I know you saw some snow. Did you see any this summer when you were up in Alaska? No, there was no snow this summer, but it was. It didn't. It didn't even get that cold. I mean, maybe on a cold day, the 50s, maybe 40s at night, but it stayed around in the. Upper 50s, mid 60s. It was beautiful. I mean, what was it like going from Louisiana to Alaska for an entire summer, playing with the Matsu Miners up there in the Alaskan League? Uh, I mean, it's it's different. It's different type of land and everything, but it's still it's still really outdoorsy, which is kind of kind of how Louisiana is. There's a lot of a lot of free land to roam around. There's a lot of fishing and whatnot. So, I mean, different different landscape, but still at the same time, kind of the same idea with the openness and everything okay so for somebody like me i've been to louisiana once and i was in i was in new orleans i was great place to be i was there for about two weeks uh two two days not two weeks felt like two weeks it was actually (laughs) two days it was a lot of fun but this was back when i was in high school i must have been a sophomore in high school so we're looking at like four or six years ago um so what can i expect going down there as a kid from new york going down to louisiana this weekend good looking people (laughs) good food Good food, good looking people. Yeah, you tooting your own horn a little no, bit, Matty? No, 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 the ladies. Oh, ladies. okay. Good looking, good looking. There's good looking ladies up here, too. Beautiful ladies, but a lot of good looking southern ladies, too, down there. Now, you've got, you're kind of growing your hair out. Last year it was the mustache when we talked to you in California. What What's the deal with the, I mean, it's not quite a mullet. It's just kind Ooh, of. Oh, easy. No, it's not a mullet now. It's just kind it's of. not a mullet. The long locks. Yeah, yeah. Um. You put yeah. some oil in it every. I mean, for game day, I you know, some, on occasion. That's right. I put some oil. The oil's more for the for the ladies, not for me. But um, I decided to to grow it out last year around Michigan State was my last haircut. So that was I don't know eight months ago or so. I just decided I was going to let it go free, see what happened. I mean, it's my senior year. Might as well do something fun. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what what kind of do you use any product in it? I do. I, <laughs> I actually. My mom got me some some stuff. One of the guys on our team, Ryan Hill, he um he's got some locks. He's got as well, some. Yeah. He's got some nice hair. He he suggested something to me. It just keeps it back. And I mean, it doesn't give it a wet look. It just keeps it back. Hey, don't forget to show me some love right here now too. This is seven months. Oh well, you're going on out. seven months. Oh, yeah, I mean, yours nice too. You've got a hat on right now, so I can't really see yeah. it as well. It's, it's getting uh, there. it's getting there. It's getting there. You guys nice. have a little like friendly. He's, he's got a, he's got a few months on me, I think, but uh. We're gonna grow it out, I think, for the season. Oh, see, yeah. see, see what it, see what it looks like. Mm-hmm. So, you guys were on the 2015 championship team at Eunice. I mean, just take me through that season and what it was like to have it culminate with that. Uh, it's a lot of wins. A lot of wins. Like you're talking team-wise, a similar, kind of similar to what we have here in the fact that it's just a bunch of guys who like playing and kind of like each other. You know, we're kind of we're kind of a tight group, which is which is one thing that I think is 
is really important. So, I mean, I see a lot of similarities between – I mean, you can't you can't just say – you can't compare two teams like that so, so easily. But, I mean, when I look at both of them, I mean, I just see how close we are and how close that 2015 team was. And it just – it just makes me feel good about what we got here. Now, for you, Will, another 50-win season last year with the Bengals. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with Matty here, how much of an impact did he have on you coming to America? Oh, absolutely. Because I, uh, you know, from an outsider looking in, I didn't have much knowledge of this program. Uh, so I was constantly picking his brain, um, you know, while as I was getting recruited by the coaches and uh, just seeing how his experience was. And, you know, he had nothing bad to say about it. Um, so, yeah, it definitely had a, you know – played a part in my decision um but then you know once I came on my visit um talked to him hung around him hung around the guys just like Matty was saying you know just the comparing the two teams that I played with you know everybody just seemed like a family I guess you could say uh and uh one, you know I saw that on my visit um with the coaches and how they interacted with the players um but yeah Matty being up here already um and him just enjoying it and having a Good fall and a good season um, definitely had a um, a part a big part to do with it. I'd say for sure. You guys starting to build maybe a little LSU units to Maryland pipeline. Um, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, yeah. Hopefully. We, uh, I mean, there's they've talked to a couple of guys. I mean, I think they're, I think they they talk yes, to. Yes, they like our program. I know, uh, Vaughn, you know, Vaughn's been down there. Yeah, and he's he, uh, oh, he he loved he it. Loves I mean, it. <laughs> he loves it. And there are, there are a couple stuff. guys. There are a couple guys who are on this LSU team: Jordan Romero and Nick Coombs. Yep. Who you guys mm-hmm. play with? You so you excited to see them from across the diamond this time? Yeah, that's gonna be cool. Oh yeah, yeah. It's a, it's always fun to to uh, to get to play some teammates that were that were a part of your team just a couple of years ago. I mean, it's it's cool playing your buddies. We went through a lot with those guys back at Eunice. Um, you know that with that, that coaching staff over there put us through <laughs> put us through a lot. So yeah, you know we have yeah. we've had some good memories with those guys. Exactly. Uh, so it'll be cool to see them and catch up with them uh but you know it's going to we're once we hit the field it's going to be um you know a rivalry for sure exactly. but it's going to be good you know now i mean we talked kind of earlier about how you guys met before Eunice. you played each other in high school was that the first time you guys had met or seen each other yeah yeah first time i mean you guys are far enough away that oh, like, yeah. there was not yeah and, our I mean, paths never crossed yeah, i don't think yeah, before that we uh that game South Louisiana teams. I mean, we'll go up and play tournaments against the North Louisiana teams, but I mean, we never ran into each other in in tournament ball when we were younger or anything. So we're chatting here with Madison Nickens and Will Watson, two of the Maryland outfielders who are both from Louisiana. So it should be a fun weekend. I mean, I bet you guys have a ton of family and friends coming out to uh to watch the games. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I uh, whatever tickets. I mean, I think we get four tickets apiece and. Uh, the guys whose families aren't making the trip, I mean, I'll, me and Will are probably going to use their tickets. Mm-hmm. I mean, just just, just because we know so many people from the area and whatnot. I mean, like you said, I'm 30 minutes away. I mean, I have all my high school buddies, I mean, friends and family who, who would love to come and watch the game. So, yeah, Everything Maddie just said, you know, basically we have so many connections down there. Mm-hmm. Um, all my family is coming. Uh, you know, they're all excited to come see me play because like, they can't come up here and you know, watch so many games, so they're they're going to take advantage of the situation. Um, and I have a bunch of friends that go to go to college there, and I've given them, um, you know, as much Maryland gear as I can. So <laughs> I think I think we'll have a uh, you know a bit more Maryland fans than you think we're going to have down there. Yeah, in the, nice, a nice turf in Alex contingent. Box. Yeah, 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 we'll have we'll have a good little base down there. 
So I want to I want to get this on the record, Maddie, because I still don't believe you. You told me yesterday that your pet gator Chomps was going to come to the ballpark, <laughs> and I uh, and I was I'm for I know you're messing with me, but you were you were pretty resilient. You were like, no, no, my my pet oh, gator man. Chomps is coming. So okay, all right. So right now, where what's the story with all that? All right, so here's the story with I mean my uh, my roommates, <laughs> Mike Crescino. Uh, last year, my roommate. Uh, Papio, and you know, this year I have Jank. They all mess with me just because I'm from South Louisiana, and they they watch those shows. <laughs> they watch the alligator hunting shows, and they swamp people. Swamp people. They say I talk like that, and everything. Is so, that an accurate representation? No, of Louisiana. No, I mean, for a certain like a neither certain of group us of people, have a bad accent. I would no, say. neither of us. Neither of us are like that. But there are people who who kind of live that life. I mean, they hunt gators and and whatnot. But the show's a little more dramatic, just to make people interested and whatnot but i do not have a pet gator it is a <laughs> there joke it is, so it it is a joke now. he just they just say i have a have a gator named chomps but. i'm honestly a little disappointed <laughs> <laughs> I, it's i mean I, I don't know some people might think i really do you know they some people think i have an airboat i mean they think my family's gonna gonna airboat their way to the game and park in the, <laughs> and park in the airboat parking lot at lsu i mean some people don't really have a clue what it, what it's like down there uh, well, we were talking uh, about how uh, Duck Dynasty is filmed and shot kind of up by yes, you. Yes, they are. I mean, yes, they are. And you were telling me how that's not really what it's like. Um, uh, it's it's a big tourist, you know, attraction. You uh, where they are, their station, their headquarters is just right across the bridge in Western Road. So you got to actually go like into the next city. But I mean, it's a five minute, ten minute drive, not far at all. But I actually have, if you drive around, kind of. Um, near their headquarters, you, you'll see. Um, I've seen, you know, Willie and Jason them driving around, just like passing them, like on the streets. So they're very like local, friendly people. Uh, but I, you know, most of the show, I'd say, is pretty staged. Um, <laughs> but uh, they mean well. They're good people. Um, they do a lot for the community and um, you know the surrounding areas. Um, but yeah, that's right there where I'm, my stomping grounds is. You know where they roam around. <laughs> do you do you go duck hunting? Oh yeah, I'm a big uh, big outdoorsman. So right. I, that's uh, one of my now, hobbies. I, I've said I said earlier, kind of in our conversation, you guys know I'm from New York. There's uh-huh. not a lot of there's not a lot of hunting in New York, at least you know on Long Island where I'm, where I'm growing up. Mm. So my <laughs> knowledge of of hunting, I don't even I don't think Madison hunts, dude. Mm-mm. I mean, I, I know you fish. fish. I know you yeah, fish. I, I fish. mean, my knowledge mm-hmm. of hunting is probably about as low as you can get mm-hmm. but i know that part of it is you got to kind of mimic the ducks a little bit or Absolutely. there's like a call so do you Absolutely. have do you have like a duck call that you could, yeah. you could bring out for us not well not on me okay. but uh i mean oh is it like is it like a whistle kind of thing it's uh wait yeah it's oh there's like uh there's these reeds that are in it it's a pl- i mean plastic acrylic whatever you and you actually just like have to use your diaphragm and blow like certain tune in it to like get the oh, okay. create the create the accurate sound. So it's like, like a little makes. it's like a little musical instrument. Yeah, yeah. Like a, is it like like a but kazoo? I mean it's like a kazoo maybe. It's like you know a few three inches long. <laughs> I mean it's <laughs> can you can you like mimic what it sounds like? Nah, I mean not not with my mouth. <laughs> Matt, you got something there? No, no, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> so I know you're you're the you're the fisherman of this duo, and I guess you're the. You're the duck hunter. Yep. I mean, yep. What is there anything else you hunt? Uh, deer, deer and ducks. Yeah, that's about it. Deer and ducks. What what kind of fish you go after? Oh, we. Well, I mean, he fishes too. I mean, I we used to fish at Eunice, didn't we? Yeah. yeah you, there's some little ponds fish. around there and whatnot. But I mean, my personal my personal favorite 
is redfish going down to grand isle in a Ooh. kayak and if oh, you, yeah there's something a bull red i think it's so over 28 inches or 32 inches or something it'll pull your kayak exactly if you hook onto a bull red and you're in a kayak it'll pull you around and there's nothing like that i mean it's it's That's fun fight, getting out yeah. there it's, it's, it's almost like almost like water skiing with a fish as your boat mm-hmm. technically yeah i mean those i mean those they're fish not are strong. they're probably you know like 32 three times inches, three times as big as a bass but they fight probably they 10 fight times really, as hard. they're really aggressive they're they're really fun to catch you guys find any good fishing spots around college park no zero <laughs> i don't even have my rod with me not a I, not a one i have my rod but that, do you I mean, really I, yeah i really don't even have time because i know there are a bunch of guys on the team like uh, i know brian schaefer goes hunting oh, he a lot. loves it yeah yeah, I mean, yeah. that's literally how me and schaefer connected like <laughs> that's how we became friends you guys much. you guys ever get out together uh, gone hunting? No, I haven't. He uh, he's told me he's had some successful hunts this year, uh, but I've never gone with them. Right. Hopefully next year. Him and Brandon, it's me, it's Brandon Gum, Schaefer are the two big hunters up here. Or that's to my knowledge who really likes to go deer hunting. Fair, fair enough. Yeah. So, so they wait. never they never extended me the invite yet, but so hopefully <laughs> next year I'll get one. <laughs> Have you been Have you been kind of educating the guys about what to expect down at LSU? I mean, Maddie, for you. Grown up about a half an hour south. I mean, you must have kind of grown up, not necessarily as an LSU fan, but no, pretty I, much in that realm. I mean, I did. I mean, he, I mean, I think any Louisiana boy would would be lying if he said he didn't want to be an LSU Tiger when he was younger. I mean, and you know, that's when that's when I'm a little kid. That's that's who I grew up watching. I mean, that's the closest team to me that was that was going to Omaha and whatnot. So I mean, I used to love watching Mikey Ma took. I mean. Shoot, who else do they have? He, I mean, he was my favorite. I mean, they had a the team. Aaron Nola and Austin Nola. the yeah. um, Mitchell in left field in, like, yeah. 2009. I mean, those teams were just fun to watch. So, I mean, like I said, it, it was my, my family's favorite team. So, that's – I mean, that's just who I watched. And I think yeah, he I will say the same, the same thing. thing. Now, I don't know if you know this, but the last time Maryland played LSU down at Alex Box Stadium was back in 2013. Yeah. And Aaron mm-hmm. Nola pitched yep. against Friday Maryland. night. Mm-hmm. Friday night, Papio told me about it. Lamont was in the lineup. Papio was in the lineup. I, yeah, they they um they told me about it. What did what did he say? He said, uh, <laughs> he said he got up there and he got in the box and Nola just was painting corners at I don't know mid nineties or so. He said he was disgusting. <laughs> said I mean, well, that's a good arm. There's a, there's a big reason why he's he's in the big leagues oh, right yeah. now. Oh yeah, he's he's a good pitcher. Him and uh, and he's Alex, on, Alex okay. Bregman was on that team too. Bregman Bregman was a freshman, I want to say, when they went and played him. Yeah, he was. He was, he was, he was a, freshman. a freshman. Yeah, and that was his kind of his big year. I think he batted upper threes or something. Yeah. So. I guess we kind of have to talk a little bit of baseball, as this is the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Guys, one and two this weekend, and you know both of you seen you know a decent amount of time at the plate and in the field. I guess what are your thoughts on the weekend, and what are you looking to do when you guys go down to Alex Box? Um, I mean, one and one and two. I mean, that's it's not it's not going to cut it. It's not us. It's we're a lot better team than that. But I mean, you have to take out the positives. I mean, the way. One thing I really saw that was good this weekend, and our coaches said it. Our coaches told us after the game, you know, we were we were really mad. We hate to lose. I mean, we have a bunch of guys who hate losing. And after that Louisville game, as mad as we were because we had, I think, five errors, I mean, if you watch that game, you see them go up 4-1, 5-1, and we just keep coming back. You know, we score two or three, then they score four more. 
you know, they they kick us in the in the mouth again and we come right back, you know. We I mean, we made that we made that a ball game and that you know, that showed a lot of fight. That showed that we're not going to give up and if and if we do that all year, we're going to win a lot of games. I mean, we expect we're not going down to LSU amazed by, wow, you know, we're facing we're playing in Alex box, we're facing Lang. We're we're not going down there like that. We're going down there like, hey, you know, we're Maryland. We're pretty good too. Here we are. Let's, you know, let's play ball. Now, I've I've never been down there uh, at Alex Box, but I'm sure you guys have. What's the mm-hmm. atmosphere like? I uh, I played in the stadium a few times. Um, it's gonna be crazy. Uh, Ten thousand, twelve thousand fans. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, the bases are still ninety feet apart. You know, you're exactly. still pitching six feet six inches. So you exactly. just gotta you know, do everything you know how to do on the field and um, just lock in, focus, and, you know, kind of just tunnel vision, block out the crowd, just not make it an issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, it's going to be a cool atmosphere. Um, so it's going to definitely be a series to remember for sure. Uh, I like that. Spaces yeah. are still 90 feet apart, Yeah, still 60 feet. Absolutely. It's a good way, good way to look at it. Yep. So I guess to wrap up our conversation here, I mean, if you were going to give me one piece of advice about going down to Louisiana – for a weekend, what would it be? If I had to try, if I had to try uh, one thing while start, I was in Baton Rouge, if you had, so if you like one piece of food or something like that, what what do you need to try while you're down there? Yeah, I mean you you have to try crawfish. Craw- I mean, that's yeah, what you're gonna. That's to. what most people are gonna tell you. I mean, that's just it's, it's a lot of work a for a little there. meat. But yeah, it's like a mini lobster, right? It, you just get to yeah. tell me that, exactly <laughs> that lives in the mud. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it doesn't sound it doesn't sound good, but it's they they boil it up. I mean, it's it's phenomenal. They boil it with corn. I mean, potatoes. You put hot dogs in there. You can put anything you want, man. I mean, it's just it's just something you don't see in many other places. So I mean, like Maryland with with crabs, that's their claim to fame. I mean, in Louisiana, it's crawfish. So I mean. Crawfish and king cake, you have to give a try. All right. I would say crawfish for sure. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. It's a bucket lister. Oh, yeah. is it bucket lister? Yes, yeah. you, have to, right. you have to try it. Well, I'll, I'll pencil it in right now, right now. All right, so you guys headed down to LSU this weekend. I'll be joining you as well. Should be a lot of fun. Madison, Will, thanks so much for joining us, and uh, we'll try some crawfish this weekend. Sounds Absolutely. good. Sounds good. Let's Looking forward to it. So that'll close the books on this episode of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Special thanks to Madison Nickens, Will Watson, and Jeremy Brown from Perfect Game for taking the time to join us. Be sure to give us a follow on Twitter at MDBaseballNet and like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash MDBaseballNet to get the latest info on your Terps baseball team. Also, if you're listening to this podcast on iTunes, thanks for subscribing. If you're listening through our website or through SoundCloud, go ahead and subscribe to the MBN podcast in the iTunes store to have it sent straight to your phone as soon as it's posted for next week. Subscribers get it a little bit earlier than you guys listening on the web. So for Justin Galanti and the rest of the MBN staff, I'm Jake Eisenberg saying so long until next week. Tune in this weekend as the Terps travel down to Baton Rouge, Louisiana to take on the LSU Tigers. First pitch Friday night is at 8 o'clock Eastern. See you then.